So as we are jumping in here to our third installment of our this series uh, we've entitled Renew, I, we're kind of start out with this statement. I want a state of new. I want a state of new. Isn't that really why many of us are here today? Isn't that why we've braved being in the same room together in the midst of this time in the United States and in the world? We're looking for something, right? We're looking for a state of new. We desire God to change us. We desire God to remake us. We desire God to transform us. And Harley and I, and probably many people in here this morning, maybe everyone in here this morning, but definitely I know that I can speak factually that Harley and I um, have been taught by others as we grew up how to be changed. And unfortunately, many of what we have been taught, it hasn't really been working. It hasn't worked in our experience. It's um, what people kind of told us to do to change and to renew and to, and to transform us. It really just didn't work. It just didn't work out. And what I've you know, thought about how God does things, because in many cases, the way that I've been taught how God does things, it really has turned into this really nasty, uh, uh, raveled up knot of information that has been planted in my brain. And as you know, first information often is the hardest information to get rid of. And so I've got this info in my brain, and it's all knotted up. It's all raveled up. It's a mess in my mind. And these thoughts, this kind of thinking, it's never going to get me to the place of new, to the point of change. And so what we're trying to do throughout the entirety of this series is we're trying to get this straightened out. We're trying to get the knot straightened out, the, the raveled up mess in our brain. We're trying to get it straightened out. Because, not because, I should say, that we're investing in self-help. It's not a self-help class. This is something that has eternal consequences. We believe it has eternal consequences, and we believe that the New Covenant tells us it has eternal consequences. It's not a casual thing that we've been talking about the last two weeks, and we're going to talk about today. So, as we move into this morning, regarding New, five unskippable steps, we're on step three, five unraveling weeks, week three, to one new life. Yeah, and the, you know, this whole Christian thing... Um, it can become pretty weak. I just have to ask myself, is God so casual about transforming us that, uh, that He doesn't really care what we choose and He doesn't really care what we do? He doesn't really care what we choose to become in life? Is God, with this whole thing, is He just kind of slow about all of this because... He is more concerned about pleasing us or more concerned about keeping us happy because maybe, maybe he's afraid he might lose us or we might walk away or we might not accept him. I, I kind of wonder, is God like I was when I was like a freshman in high school and, and I was just like, oh, I want to date so bad. Oh, I want to date. Please date me. Please date me. And I got a date and it's like, please don't leave me. Please, please stay around. I'm a great guy. It would have been perfect if we could have had a picture of you <laughs> yes. from high school. Bam, yeah. right there. Well, you, you know? can see 16-year-old Harley if you go to my Facebook page right now. And on my cover page, that's me standing beside um, my... Uh, let's see. It's a metallic turd brown Ford Maverick. And, I can't you said that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was like, please get in the car with me and go on a date, and please don't leave me. Is that is that what God, I, I have to imagine, is that God just begging us to hang around and be around and accept Him? Is God just looking for acceptance? So He's real casual, like, oh, you know, you can do what you want to do. I, I just want you to accept me. Or does He actually require something from those who want to be eternally connected to him because it seems that americans have confused this free gift of salvation 
with something that is really of no value. And therefore, it's something that we can treat ourselves very casually. And we can just kind of pick and choose and say, I'll take this Jesus and put that in my life, but I'm going to ignore that or I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to take this. And so we get to pick and choose. Is that what it's like? Because if it is, it seems we've taken all the power out of the very thing that we want to change our lives. So much so that this thing has become powerless. This just simply an acknowledgement that Jesus is real. And then nothing changes in our lives. And we say, we're new, but we're not new. So in this series, we've introduced some things. Um, The very first two unskippable steps, week one and week two in this series. So if you've missed week one or week two, we just ask you, please, please go back and listen. Because those are also unskippable steps. Uh, You see, in week number one, we kind of talked to you about um, who God is. And in week number two, we talked to you uh, about how what we choose to believe about God and today today well this is the change before the change because new can't happen without this so Jesus if we look at his life and we look at the uh, firsthand accounts of the experience and the life of Jesus a few things jump out to us really a few very wow things jump out to us. One, Jesus was around prostitutes. Jesus was around outcasts. Uh, Jesus was around the social pariahs of his day. That's He spent a lot of time, not all of his time, but he spent a big chunk of his time with those type of people, right? He spent a lot of time with, with those type of people. But the other thing that jumps out to us about Jesus is he always had room in his circle and in his self. He had room for relationships with people who were searching. And if someone was truly searching and some trying to unravel <laughs> this thing that we may call life, that he had room for. And He had room for people who were trying and wanting to follow Him. He always had room. Because being a sinner, it doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't disqualify you from a relationship with Jesus. In fact, if we read the New Covenant, and if we read the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, we find out that actually being a sinner, it's a prerequisite. We have to have that. We have to be at that point. You have to be that before that relationship can happen before that change can take place. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't disqualify you. It, it, it's simply an invitation to follow. It's really, all it is, is a relationship. It's an invitation to a relationship with Jesus, this invitation to follow. It's not an invitation to follow a rule book. It's not an invitation to follow um, even, it's not even an invitation to follow everything that's in the Bible. It's just an invitation for a relationship with your Father in heaven. That's what we mean when we talk about this follow that we're talking about. But those outcasts that Jesus hung around with, those prostitutes and those sinners, the ones that chose new, they all did the same thing. If we look In the New Covenant, we find out that immediately they were changed. They changed directions. They began experiencing a changed life. Every example of anyone that made the decision to follow Jesus, they changed. Jesus transformed people, and He continues to transform people. It's just what He does. That's that's, that's what Jesus is all about, and he didn't indulge the prostitutes. He didn't indulge the, the, the sinners or the, the, the adulterers or the thieves. He didn't indulge them. He didn't say, okay, you're going to follow me and you're going to still do your thing over here, but you're just going to follow me. He didn't indulge them. He actually, the New Covenant tells us that the prostitutes that Jesus changed, they were no longer prostitutes. They, they changed. 
The thieves that Jesus changed, they were no longer thieves. They changed. The adulterers that Jesus changed, they were no longer adulterers. They were changed. If they became new in the new covenant, if they became new, it was because Jesus changed them on his terms, not on theirs. Yeah, not their terms. I mean, when that happened, when he changed them, it was all about them walking away from what they were, from themselves. And it was not them entering into negotiations with Jesus and like trying to see how much of the old self they could keep. You know, I want this, well, I'll give you this, but I'm going to keep this. No, they, they walked away from the, the, their old self. Yeah, it was not a negotiation. Um, the big word for today um, is this. Now, this is a churchy word. But it comes out of the Bible. But we have also kind of added this to our tangled mess. And that's why we're going to work really hard at making this clear today. So this has been tangled up in our minds. But here's the word for today. The word is repent. So we're going to begin to untangle this because um, change can't happen in our lives without this word. And so either... The Bible is wrong, or what we've believed about this word is wrong. I'm going to say this. In fact, it's, it's impossible for us to connect with Jesus without this word, repentance. So don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Jesus. Here's what he has to say about repentance. Several places. Matthew chapter 4. Um, from that time on, it says Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he, he, these are his words. Luke chapter 5. He said, I've not come to call the righteous. And he was kind of uh, poking a little fun at people who thought they were righteous. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, that's why I came. Luke chapter 13. He says, this is serious here. He says, I, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Wow. If it's that serious, we better understand what this means. So in order to do that, we're going to look at some things that repentance is not. That's kind of how we did last week with, with uh, our topic last week. So this week, we're going to start. What repentance is not? And here's the first thing it's not. It is not just feeling bad. Repentance is not just feeling guilty. It's not just feeling remorse. We have a, a great example of this in, in the New Testament. And, and it's Judas who betrayed Jesus, turned him over to the authorities so he could be tortured and crucified. Judas, Matthew chapter 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. He felt really bad. Another word for that, it can be translated regret. He was filled with regret, filled with remorse. Now the Greek word for remorse is a two-part word. It's a compound word. It's got a meaning at the front, a meaning at the end of the word. The first part of that word means movement. So something is moving. Something is changing. And here's what it is. It's moved to, here's the last part of the word, regret. The feeling of regret. That's what that gr Greek word means. Moved to regret. Moved to remorse. And we're not talking about, it is not repentance. And in fact, Paul makes this pretty clear. In Corinthians, he gives us an example of how this is not. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, worldly sorrow, it lacks repentance. Feeling bad, feeling sorry, feeling regret, feeling remorse. If there's not repentance there, it's just a feeling. This worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, he says, results in spiritual death. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Judas. So, again, we're, we're focusing on this word repentance. And again, what is for a little bit, a short amount of time as a result of a feeling of guilt? 
an example of that might be, man, I've just not had a very good week. You know, I've done some things that I know go against the law of God, and I feel a little bit bad about it. Maybe I, you know, I made some choices. I, 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 I made some choices in a relationship, whatever the case may be. I feel bad about it. I feel remorse. I feel regret. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a little bit more church attendance. I'm going to show up to church this Sunday, and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to do kind of check those boxes. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, or maybe, uh, you know, I'm going to do better going forward. I'm, I, I don't like what I've done, so I'm going to make a, a, a change, but it's a change for a little while. You know, it doesn't last. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about repentance. Because again, in the example of Judas, we find very clearly Judas had some guilt. Judas felt really bad about what he had done. He had some regret. Not only did Judas feel bad about it, he actually took it a step further. He actually had an action step behind it. Because, of course, we know that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he was given 30 pieces of silver. Judas actually takes the money back. He takes an action step off of his regret, but still... It's not repentance. Matthew chapter 25. He was filled with remorse. This is speaking of Judas. He was filled with remorse, so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And then they say, what do we care? It's not our problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and he hanged himself. Judas felt regret. Judas felt remorse, and Judas felt it so heavily he was willing to do something about it. But it wasn't repentance. Because repentance is not enough to just behave right. It's, um, if it were, then the scripture that says not works so you can't boast, then it wouldn't be true. Because that's what the scripture says. It says it's not works so you can't you know, pat yourself on the back about it. Repentance is not just choosing to behave correctly. Repentance also isn't enough to just simply believe right things. And in the American church that has gotten a lot of this so tangled up, that's a lot of what has gotten it tangled up because there's a belief, there's a teaching that you just have to believe the right things. Repentance is not being convinced that Jesus is the way. Whoa! I'm going to say that again. Because that's, man, if there's anything that we're going to, anything that we're going to say this morning that could potentially cause a problem here, it's, it's that statement. Repentance is not simply being convinced that Jesus is the way. You see, the demons, they believe that very, very, very strongly. They're convinced that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. In fact, Matthew chapter 8 tells us, says that speaking to Jesus, the demon said, they began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And you know, Jesus had a teaching that's related to what we believe as well. And this is strong. Cole's going to come back to this in a moment. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. He said, on judgment day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. And verse 23, Jesus says this, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So it sounds like Jesus is saying, we can say that we believe some things, And we can even do some things. These people in this verse, he said, they have done a lot of things. But I think Jesus is really describing in that snapshot someone who has never repented. If you have shopped in the last 50 years and bought a piece of furniture, then we're always on the lookout for this because there are things that are described as solid wood that are not solid wood. I mean, at least not what we define it. Because if you're not careful, you'll buy something that has a real, I mean, it looks so beautiful on the surface, so pretty, a wonderful piece of, of wood, of furniture. But then if you look underneath, 
then you realize, no, 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 that's just a veneer. <laughs> Underneath, you realize, oh, wait, that's just a compressed sawdust. And yeah, it's wood, and they compress it and glue it together, and so they can call it solid wood because they put the veneer on top, but you look at it and you're like, that's not going to last. If that gets wet, it's going to fall apart. I mean, you're like, it's not, that's not real. It just has a veneer. It has an outside. It just appears to be that way. There are many who claim in the United States, they claim to be Christians. They have said some right things. They maybe even do some right things. But... When you look at their life, they have this very thin veneer. A very thin veneer on top that makes it look real. But when you look at their life itself, it is fundamentally opposed to God. Can't be real. See, here's another thing. Repentance is not just doing something to stay out of hell or doing something because we're afraid of hell. Here's kind of the statement I want you to lock in your mind. Repentance is not fire insurance. So let me describe fire insurance for a moment. So if you uh, live in a home or an apartment, then there's this formal policy that you can uh, get that says if your house burns down, they will help you to rebuild it. To, they'll help you to get a new start. And it's, it's kind of a formality. But it's something that we would all say, and Dave Ramsey would agree, that if you're a renter, you need that. If you're a homeowner, you need that. You need a fire insurance policy. But it is a formality. But it, here's what the policy says. It's going to make it easier to start over if that happens. Now, you don't expect to use it. You don't expect you need it, but you don't expect to use it. You don't even believe, really, that you're going to have a fire. But just in case, I mean, just in case you do, people have told you you need it, so you get the policy, so you can be ready just in case. And then, as soon as you have the policy, you just kind of go back to life as usual. You don't really ever think about it again. You just kind of tuck it away because you know, oh, I've got that policy. But it never impacts the way you live. Making a decision that you want to stay out of hell is not repentance. Doing something, saying something, repeating some words that you were told to repeat. If you're just like saying, you know what, I don't know if this is all going to pan out, but what if it's true? I need to be ready just in case that's true. I don't know if it's true, but what if it is? I need to be ready just in case. So I'm going to get this policy just in case it's true. Making some acknowledgments related to God all in order to get this fire insurance policy that just in case this is true, I want to make sure I'm ready. Hey, I got my policy. And then as soon as we get the policy, as soon as we have said those things, done a few things, then we just go back to life as usual. And we tuck it away and we say, I've got it. That, that is not repentance. And actually, the truth is, we've been lied to because that is no fire insurance policy for life at all. We, we're going to make a lot of statements over the next few minutes that are going to possibly be a little bit uncomfortable. But before we do that, it's not us talking. This is not Harley's opinion. This isn't my opinion. This the, the, the things that we're going to talk about here for the next few moments, this is Jesus speaking. In fact, we are going to refer to the words of Jesus a bunch over the course of the next few minutes. That's really all we're going to refer to for the most part is the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say about this repentance thing? Um, Matthew chapter 7. This is, again, the words of Jesus. Not mine, not Harley's. This is the words of Jesus. And if there are a pair of, of verses in the entire New Covenant that should terrify the American Christian, it's probably these right here. This is what it says. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. But I will reply, I never knew you. Many. Many will say. That means that there are a lot of people walking around right now. And there will continue to be a lot of people who have themselves very fooled as to their relationship with Jesus. Because these are the words of Jesus. Many will say, and I just, I don't know them. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of folks on a very, on the very broad road going through that very, very huge gate that Jesus talks about. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 7. He says, the highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever will find it. These are not the words of Harley, not me. These are the words of Jesus. So if Jesus says, in Luke chapter 13, if Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 7 and he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Then I think it's fair for all of us to agree that understanding what repentance is, is probably an unskippable step. So Jesus talks about this narrow door. Right? He talks about this narrow door. What is it? Where is it? And probably the question for us today, how in the world do I find it? Where is it at and how do I find it? And Jesus answers the question for us in John chapter 14. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's it. That, that's the door. Very narrow. Absolutely. One way. Through Jesus. So it's a narrow door. But it's a very well advertised door. And it's not hidden. In fact, in fact, it's almost like the door, that narrow door, that small door that Jesus is talking about, He and Him alone, it's almost like it's like lit up, kind of like what we are right now with all these lights looking at us. It's lit up. And there's arrows flashing lights, pointing at it, saying, right here, this is it. This is the way to get there. It's small, but man, it's not hidden. It's right there. Jesus is saying, here it is. This is the way. I'm the door. Just follow me. Because Jesus is inviting everyone who is far from God to experience God's love. Inviting them to get close to God and to follow. And not just follow today, and maybe tomorrow, and when it's convenient, but to follow for the remainder of our lives. Yeah. I, part of the tangled mess and the problem with what we've been talking about over these weeks, people like me, we have to take some responsibility. What Cole and I are doing as pastors and teachers we have some responsibility for some of that confusion because we have said some things that Jesus did not say. I, as I was early in my days of ministry as a youth minister, I said some things and described some things and I was doing my best, but I was not communicating it very well. Here, here's an example. You will never find Jesus saying, Although I have said this, you will never find Jesus saying this. He never said, let me into your heart. He never said that. You're not going to find Jesus saying, just accept me. Won't you please, just accept me. That's, what I, just, that's all you have to do, just accept me. You won't hear Jesus saying, but I've said this. You won't hear Jesus saying, just pray this prayer and you're, you're good. But rather, you know what Jesus did say? For us to show our love for him, he said, follow me. And then you know what the response is? For us to actually follow him. And that is how we step through that gate 
It is a matter of changing directions. It's a matter of us realizing, I am headed this way, this big broad road, and there's a whole bunch of people around me, and we're all headed this way. Through this big giant gate, giant door, big giant, but we decide this is the way. And we realize, wait, 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 wait. But there's the narrow gate, that's Jesus. I was headed for this gate, but I'm going to stop and change directions. And I'm going to change, and I'm going to go with Him, with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus through His gate. And that change of direction, that is repentance. That's what it's called. Now, there's a Greek word for this word repentance. When we see Jesus saying those words in the New Testament, the New Covenant, he's using this Greek word. And this Greek word, when you look at it side by side, and especially when you listen to it, it sounds a whole lot like another word. Do you know what word it sounds like? It sounds like the Greek word for regret or remorse. That's what it sounds like, but it's not the same word at all. See, remorse, remember, it, it, it meant there's a change, that's the first part of the word, and the second part is to a feeling of regret or remorse, a change of feeling to remorse or regret. That is not the same as repentance. Repentance sounds in Greek a lot like that. It looks very similar, but they are two different words spelled differently and pronounced differently. But there's also a change. That's the first part of the Greek word for repent, a change, a movement, like we said with the other. That part of the word's the same, but the ending part is different. Just like for us, remorse, it's very close to repent, regret, repent. They're similar, but they're very different. And in the Greek word, yes, there is a change. There is a movement but here's what the last part of the word is for repent. The movement, the change, it refers to the mind. And it's deeper than that. It is a change of our thoughts, a change of our perceptions, a change of our dispositions, and a change of our purposes on the inside. So together, that word means literally repent. It means it's an experience, to experience in our lives a change of direction of our minds, perceptions, our dispositions, and our purposes. Very clearly, I was headed this way. I thought this about life. And so I lived it this way. But now, I have a change, and I'm following Him. We are moved to think differently. And because we think differently, we're now moved to do differently. And you say, okay, great, great, great. That, that, that does make a little sense to me, Harley. I, I'm understanding. So it's a change. I, I see that. I was headed this way. And now I'm going to follow Jesus through His gate. I, I, I got you. But what does that look like in real life? Well, Jesus gives us a clue. So let me, let, me, let me read this. Here's a clue as to what that looks like in our life. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. He says, words of Jesus, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Those are his words. What does that look like in real life? Well, we prove it. But okay, here's the next question. I'm going to give this one to Cole. <laughs> How do we prove that? How do we prove 
by the way that we live, that we have experienced this change in direction of our minds, perceptions, dispositions, and purposes? That is a great question. So, Cole. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to actually take that question, and I'm going to pass it on myself. I'm going to pass it to Jesus. I'm going to ask him that question. What do you mean? Prove it. This is what he said. He, he answers the question. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, this is the way Jesus says to prove it, that you have truly had a change in your, your thoughts and your mind and your, your uh, direction. This is what he says, Mark chapter 8. Summoning, summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up your cross. Take up my cross. Give up my whole life. Not just a portion of my life. Not just a portion of my free time. When it's convenient, give Him everything. Not when it's convenient, everything. Always. Leave self behind. Leave self behind and pick up the tool for my own public execution, which was the connection of the cross to the listeners that Jesus was talking to. When he says, pick up your cross, that is an instrument of public execution. Pick up the tool for my own public execution and follow Jesus. There is a direct and undeniable relationship between repentance and new behavior. You, you can't ignore it. You can't miss it. And then, in addition to that, new behavior for the rest of my life. Not just today, not tomorrow, not after I hear that teaching that kind of maybe convicted me a little bit and got me a little bit stirred up and a little bit heated up and then over the course of a day or two or three or maybe a few weeks, then eh, we'll go back. No, true repentance, there's a connection to new behavior for the rest of our life. Jesus continues on. Again, I told you, we're going to tell you what Jesus said. Not what we said, what Jesus said. Jesus talks more in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Now, Jesus can take and untangle this mess of, a, of American Christianity that we have all experienced, that I've experienced. I'm 36 years old, I promise you. I've experienced exactly what we're talking about right now. Jesus can take this and he can untangle it, but we, we just have to listen to what he says. We have to really look at Scripture. What does Jesus say about it? Luke chapter 14. This is, this is heavy. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. That's not unusual. That's not unusual at all. Jesus always had a crowd following him. The paparazzi was always on Jesus' tail, you know. So Jesus, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, he stopped and he said, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Woo! Hate everyone else by comparison to your love for me. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children. Ooh, that, that's, that's, that one's a little heavy. That one hits a little close to home, right? Your children, your brothers. Eh, that's not so bad. Your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You've got to, by comparing your love for me, your, your choosing to follow me, if you compare that to your love for anything else in your life, your own life, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, your it doesn't even compare. That's repentance. That's that process of us going from that broad, wide gate Harley talked about and turning and walking through this very narrow gate that is Jesus. Now these are very, very tough words that Jesus uses, but they're very clear. There's no ambiguity at all in what Jesus is saying here. He makes it very, very clear. Jesus, he's not saying that we've got to hate other people. 
That's, that's not the point. He's not saying that. What he's saying is very clearly, he's saying that you have to have such a change in your way of thinking, your way of living, your way of processing things, and just that filter that everything runs through. You have to have a change in your way of thinking that your depth of love for Him, for Jesus, is so vast. It's so serious. And it's so real that nothing in your life, not your mom, not your dad, not your brother, not your sister, not your wife, not your husband, not even your own children, not even your own life compares to the depth of your love for Jesus. And that is tough. It's tough. But it's clear. It's clear. You know, if he were unclear about that, that would really be unkind to leave us guessing what is this whole repentance thing. But because he's being so clear, any of the unclarity has been because of what maybe I have taught in the past as I was growing up as a teacher, what you have heard other teachers teach, that's where the unclarity has come from. Jesus is very clear here, and that is so kind to not make us guess. What does it mean to repent? Well, I've said uh, many times in my life, I've made the statement, I don't care which direction I'm supposed to go, left, right, up, down, I don't care. Just communicate with yeah. me. Just be honest with me. I've said that many times in my life. And that's what, that's what Jesus, Jesus is did. doing right here. Now, if this is the way that Jesus feels about our choice to love and follow him as it relates to the love that we have for people around us, then what does that say about well, how he must feel about our choice to follow him and love him in comparison to how we love and follow our hobbies? How we love and follow hunting whatever jump, season it may be yeah any hunters are in here with their guns <laughs> and I, you know what might it's cool mean? though because i was afraid you were going to say sports well don't say sports yeah ah you said sports. to how we might our love for god compared to what we show in a commitment and love <laughs> to sports yes that hurts what that must that say to god i mean no wonder as I think about my life, no wonder that for so long change eludes us. Because we have so often a love for so many other things that we follow more than we love and follow Jesus. We have a tendency to offer Jesus words and more words and more words. That's what we give Jesus. But then we give our best to our free time. Wow. What, what would happen? What would happen if I had been as committed to Jesus as I was committed to my work at the height of my workaholism. What, what could have been? And really, more importantly from that moment, what was my life saying, really? My life said, I love that. I don't really love Jesus. I give Him words, but I gave my best to my work. What what if we committed to Jesus like we commit to Little League? What if we committed to Jesus like we commit to our weekends? I think that Jesus would get our best. And Jesus would get all of us, and he would not get our leftovers. Guess what? 
that is actually what he requires. And it's no wonder that, that we lived for so long, and maybe some of us right now, this very moment, unchanged lives. Because we think that we can give Jesus a little bit, some of us, but we in return get his all. No wonder that the average person in the United States, they claim to be a Christian, but there is no change in their life. So Jesus, Jesus is clear again in this next verse. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse, uh, John chapter 12, verse 25. Those who love their life in this world, those who love what they have created with their life, they love how they're investing their time and, and how they love what they're doing, they love their hobbies, they love what they have created in this American life. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Our country is full of people who say that they love Jesus. But when you look at their lives, they actually love their lives that they have created here in America. Much, much, much more than they love and follow Jesus. Jesus is not through. He goes on. He says, and if you do not carry your own cross. Well, let me pause there for a moment because Cole has mentioned the cross that we're supposed to carry. Do you know the cross is there because something's going to die on the cross. And he's telling us. We've got to carry our own cross. Do you know what dies on your cross? It's not your sin. Because our sin died on the cross of Jesus. That's where our sin died. Do you know what dies on your cross? That he's telling you to carry. And me to carry. And Cole to carry. What dies on our cross? Is our self. We die. We die to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We crawl up on that cross and we die to ourselves. That sounds like you're pretty much all in. He says, Jesus, words of Jesus, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He says, it's impossible. In fact, any other way, he's saying, it won't happen. Every other alternative is fake. It is false. Everything else that you try is the wide gate. It is not the narrow gate of Jesus. And Jesus then, he tells us not to take this casually. This is no little thing. This is not a small, insignificant, casual thing. If we're going to consider turning from the wide path with a lot of other people going through this wide gate and deciding to turn and have this change and follow Jesus and go through the narrow gate. He's saying, don't take this casually. It's not like this is the biggest decision of your life. And it will impact your life from this moment for the rest of your life, it is not casual. Therefore, He demands not your afternoon, not your morning, not a few months, not a few nights. No, no. He demands your and my whole life. Not a United States version of commitment to Jesus. It will require your all. And everyone in, around you will know it. I'm getting ready to read you the next verse. I'm not going to do it just yet. Let me set it up. But I want you to understand how big this is. Jesus is saying, pause 
Don't take this lightly. Think about this. This is not casual. This is not tiny. This is not insignificant or small. It's not a little policy you tuck back to say, just in case, or I have this. I don't have to worry about anything because, look, I've got this piece of fire. No, this impacts your everything. And the verse I'm getting ready to read you, it is not Jesus who is saying, oh, please just ask me into your heart. Please, 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 please. Listen, you can do whatever you want to do later, but now just ask me and just accept me. Will you just accept me? I don't care how you live. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. Just accept me. No. Jesus is actually saying, wait. Before you make this decision to turn and change directions with your life, stop and think about it. Don't take it lightly. And here's what he says in verse 28. We're just rolling through this passage. Verse 28. Now Jesus says this, but don't begin until you count the cost. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Cost? I thought this was a free gift of salvation. Cost? What are you talking about? Cost. Count the cost. What? I thought it was free. You know what it's going to cost you? It will cost you that death on your cross. You're not paying for your sins. You can't. I cannot. We cannot pay for our sins. Only Jesus could do that. That's why Jesus did that. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Slain for the world. That's done. We can't do that. What will that decision to turn cost you? The death of you. On the cross. And in that, on your cross, in that you are turning, you are changing from the inside out, a change in your mind, in your direction, in your purpose. The old is dead. And you die there on that cross when you turn. But don't begin, Jesus says. Don't even begin. Until you count the cost. That's the cost. And he goes on. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Because I guarantee you, if you really repent, you're going to finish it. He finished it for you. And you just keep following him. He did it. You're following him. But he says, don't take this lightly. It's going to cost your whole self. Not just the parts you're willing to give him. Not just negotiating with him. What can I keep of my old self? I, I, I want the new, but what can I keep of the old? Mm -mm, it's cost your all. So, sure, a couple of questions. It's going to lead to the next question, okay? So, what does the unskippable step of repentance look like for us? What does it look like? So, the first thing is, it is repent. And then, you see, we step over. Well, what does repent look like for us? Well, it looks like this. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's what repent looks like. But what does take up your cross and follow me what does that look like in your life and in my life? And so let's jump into the New Covenant, to the Scripture. It looks like this. Paul, writing in Galatians, he says this in verse 19 of chapter, chapter 2. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Wait a minute, Christ died on the cross, right. Well, the cross he told us to pick up and carry, that's where we die to self. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And in verse 20, and I no longer live. So that old person is dead. I no longer live. That old me, I no longer live. But Christ now, I'm following him through his gate. Christ now lives in me. The life I now live in this body, 
I live by faith. We talked about that last week. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. That description right there, that looks a whole lot like new. That's it. If I repent, and if you repent, we die to ourselves. We take up that cross. And we follow Jesus right there. Exactly like that verse right there. Period. That's it. Anything else is not repentance. And repentance is an unskippable step. So here's what we're asking you to do. The next steps. Regarding new. And this week, regarding repentance. Here's the first thing we're asking you to do. Will you listen to this again? Will you just listen again? I, I, I hope you will. It's not because Cole and I have this down and we've figured out how to communicate this. Precise. No, no. We, we have fumbled our way through this. We've done our best. Even if, when you listen again, even if you don't listen to the words that Cole and I use, listen to every one of the words in those verses from Jesus and this from Paul. Listen to those words again. And I'm hoping that it is going to be on uh, Facebook Live right now if we were able to limp that along and get it in there. But it for sure will be uploaded to SoundCloud. Will you listen again? And as you listen, I'm asking you to do this. As you listen, will you talk to God about this? Will you talk to God? Here's what I want you to do. Will you ask? And God, I promise you, God will be listening to you. Will you ask God this? Have I repented and really started following you? Ask Him that. And then follow it up with this question. How does my life reveal that to be true? Have I really repented and started following you? And how does my life reveal that to be true? We're getting ready to end with a couple of songs. And here's what I just want to ask. This first song, let this be your prayer. Even the second song, let this be your prayer. And here's why this is just so amazing. Why they selected the perfect songs for today. And this is why, because we are going back with this first song all the way back to even some of the things that got jumbled up in my heart when I was a, a, a teenager. But you know what? I got to the point, and I remember it so clearly, this one night at um, a church camp. And I realized that I just had a veneer. I wasn't really following Jesus. It was just a veneer. I knew some right answers. I believed some right things. I was even doing some right things. But if you were to look at my life, my real life, I was fundamentally opposed to God. I just had a veneer. An American version of following Jesus. It was just a veneer. That's what I had. And in that moment I realized that this song was part of that camp. At least part of this song. And I realized that's where I'm headed. It's the wide gate. And there's a whole lot of people headed there with me. But listen, I realized I had to stop Consider the cost. It's going to be my everything if I really do this. If it's going to be real, it's going to be all. That's the only option. We don't have the option of some. 
America has created that. Jesus didn't. And I turned. I said, I was going that way. I'm going to stop and I'm going to follow him, Jesus, through his gate. And I'm not going to stop. He was going to take me and he did. Just as I am. But listen, he loved me too much to leave me that way. He began changing me that moment and he is still changing me today. He loved me too much to leave me the way I was. You let this song be your prayer this morning.